uh, our meetings, our board meetings, <laughs> are literally all of us on in our PJs, like bed on Sunday nights being like, hey, how's it going? Hi, everyone. I'm Uswa. And I'm Yasmeen. Welcome to Inner Work Ally Squared's official podcast where we learn how to better practice allyship. Today, we're going to be talking about protests and walkouts. I love talking about protests and walkouts, actually. I talk about it at least once a week because I think it's such a pivotal and important part of activism. And I think it's what most people actually think about when they think about activism. And I'm really excited to dive more into this topic. Um, but before we go on, Yasmin, what is a protest? Yeah, so protests or walkouts are a public demonstration of disapproval, usually, mm-hmm. and they can be in the form of a walkout, a strike, a march, a vigil, um, just general things like that. Mm-hmm. And the right to peacefully assemble is, and protest is in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm-hmm. So. This is something that we do see quite often. I think especially you lived in Ottawa for a while and then we live in, you know, Mississauga, like the greater Toronto area. So we see, I think in big cities, especially a lot more protests. Oh yeah. When I lived in Ottawa, like I I say that as if I didn't live in Ottawa like two months ago. Uh, When I lived in Ottawa, I saw protests all the time. And I think it, I mean, depending on the issues, sometimes there were protests where I was like, Y'all are protesting privilege you've had for years. Anyways, um, but on the most part, it's really empowering to watch that yeah. collective. Yeah. Um, and there's also counter protests, which mm-hmm. are public demonstration in support of something. And it can sometimes clash with what the protesters are protesting. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, like we always say, whenever we have guests, hint, we have a guest today. <laughs> um, I think it's important for us to get a perspective from someone who's done so much of this work and who can teach us so much. And so today we have Rain Fisher Kwan. Rain is an organizer, a writer, a public speaker, an amazing human being, and she's organized some of the largest mass movements in Canadian history, including the one that we know the most is the Ontario Ontario's largest student walkout to protest the current premier's decision to repeal the sex education content in school curriculums. Um, He canceled Indigenous focused curriculums, and he also made a lot of harmful funding costs, uh, funding cuts that really, really made a detrimental impact in a lot of families' lives. And Raina's currently in Vancouver, and she's focusing on grassroots direct action. So, hi, Rain. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So the way that I first heard you speak was in March, which seems, I was thinking about that today. I was like, oh my God, that was a whole different lifetime ago. Mm -hmm. But Megan and I were at the Girls 20 um, conference and we heard you speak and Megan, that's where Megan and I actually met. Um, And we, I just sat there and I was like, oh my God, I just want to go on coffee with this person and talk to her. (laughs) decades and decades and we won't take decades and decades of your time today I promise you that but I really appreciate the fact that you came talk or talking to us today yeah of course that really was Jesus a whole lifetime ago um my life has certainly changed a lot since Mm -hmm. that time so that's like ah it's so crazy that you guys saw me there um and I'm really glad that you enjoyed it that was like a really fun event for me to do so I'm really glad that it it stuck with you guys 
Yeah, absolutely. We love Girls 20. Um, I've been with that organization for a while now. And yeah, they always have the best guests. But there's there's a question we ask all of our guests and by all of us. We've had you're the third, so yeah. <laughs> um, and the question is, what inner work have you had to do to get yourself to where you are today? And you can take that question in whatever way you want. Something that's been very, very important for me, and that's been like very difficult for me, um, is like the practice of like self criticism, mm-hmm. um, which is something that like we talk about a lot in leftist circles, um, but. I got into protesting and activism and the whole political world when I was like 15 or 16 and I got into it in like a very big way like um and this wasn't necessarily a good thing but for a variety of reasons like basically weeks after I I really got into leading protests I was like a prominent media figure and I was on TV all the time and I had a bunch of Twitter followers out of nowhere um and like very quickly after developing a political consciousness, I was expected to be a political figure. And, you know, people were listening to what I had to say, um, which was both not necessarily super fair um, to people who had been organizing for a really long time and also not necessarily super fair to me because I was a child. <laughs> and um, something that, was sort of difficult um especially when you're like very young and a lot of people are listening to what you had to say is that like I was wrong about a lot of things (laughs) and um the thing that that sucked is that like there is like a record of every single thing I've ever said since I was 16 um and some of those things like you know I I never said anything racist or like anything like terrible but I said things that I don't agree with today I said things that were insensitive I had political opinions that I don't hold today and like I was called out repeatedly by people online by like members of the activist community and I had to like become very very good at something which I don't think is a natural human instinct which is like trying to deconstruct your ego and um you know really lean into like learning and listening and Uh, practicing self-criticism and like trying to become the best leftist and like the best ally and accomplice that you can be um, which is something that I think due to a lot of aspects of what it's like in you know our society and like western capitalist society we're we're not good at doing that we're not good at like criticizing ourselves and taking feedback Um, and it's something that I had to work really really hard to be good at and that I continue to work really hard to be good at. That's so so important for me because I think it's real it's so easy to say it and it's so much harder to practice it especially like you said in this society where like it's very individualistic my my dad says this all the time is like so I grew up in Pakistan that was where I was born and in that society like humility is the most valued like you don't brag about yourself if there's an accomplishment your mom will usually brag about it for you but like you don't do it and so like coming to this country and then in order to like go to interviews and get a job or like you know get some kind of some kind of positive attention you have to brag about yourself and Mm -hmm. in this kind of sphere like the activist sphere like you don't want to brag about yourself because the work isn't about you but at the same time like seeing yourself as part of a collective also means like 
knowing that if you're doing something harmful or saying something harmful, you're also harming the collective while also being a young person who doesn't know everything. Like you can't know everything about every movement going on. You don't have the lived experiences sometimes to naturally know what that that reality is like for someone. And so that self-criticism, it's so necessary and it's so painful at the same time. Yeah, and I think it also becomes so easy when, like, in the social media sphere to kind of, it, when people are giving you all this criticism, to, like, take a step back and be like, well, I'm not going to listen to them. And then you're kind of in your own zone of just having people who are, like, uh, only in agreement with you and only kind of backing mm-hmm. up what you're saying. Um, and then it becomes harder to do that, I guess, inner work. Mm-hmm. where you look at what you're saying and um you know criticize yourself mm-hmm. and change your ideas because you when you're mm-hmm. just in an echo chamber um and people are just telling you what you want to hear and I feel like on social media it, it's so easy to to kind of be in an echo chamber sometimes yeah yeah totally and um I think that you're totally right when you say that our society is really individualist, even in the way that we interact with activism and with social movements, like our news cycle and, um, you know, our culture as a whole is one that really enjoys the idea of a martyr, like one leader or like one celebrity figure. And we see that a lot in the way that we interact with politics, um, like with like the March for Our Lives movement, like uh, Emma Gonzalez and like David Hogg became celebrities or like with the climate strike, like Greta Thunberg is like an international celebrity even though like I I respect the work that they're doing immensely and obviously I respect the work that I've done as well but like Greta Thunberg does not deserve to be a singular celebrity and and she and she doesn't want to be um because like the climate strikes are only possible because millions and millions of people around the world are working together and what I did was only possible I mean I can't I shouldn't even say what I did the, the the projects that I worked on were only possible because thousands and thousands of people came together and I didn't organize them alone. Like I, I far from organized them alone. Um, and nobody ever organizes these, these things alone. It's always a huge collective, but um, what the media really loves to do and what our culture really loves to do is like latch on to individual people um, because it, it makes a better story and it, it sort of fits that individualist narrative that we're sort of taught to believe about like the one hero or the one martyr. And it's, it's almost at random. I mean, for me, like a huge part of the reason why I received so much attention was because I was one of the only white organizers. Like I, I truly believe that because I was like a cute white girl uh, when I was 16 and I looked good on camera, which is not fair. And it's like not okay. And I think that's also something that I work very hard to like be aware of is that even in activism and in organizing like I have an immense amount of privilege that has like brought me to where I am yeah absolutely and I think what some of us do really well and some of us need to get better at and explore more is the power of collective storytelling so not just sharing like one story of one person from a movement but rather like issues are intersectional, movements are intersectional, and we see that all the time when we are part of those front lines and doing that work, but we don't see that in the media. And a big part of like, I think I always struggle with protests, not because I don't believe in protests, because I really strongly believe in protests, but I struggle with protests when the protests have been 
manipulated not by the organizers or the participators, but by external forces, whether they're politicians or the media or any kind of, you know, power dynamic instilled there that really removes the issue at the core mm -hmm. from the actual protest and then focuses on the people or the politics of it. So I guess my question for you is, what's the most impactful part of protest for you? The, the thing that I, that I really enjoy about protest, which is the case with a lot of the work that I do now, is that politicians won't touch it because I've gotten into like very radical acts of protest that I, that I believe is like the most impactful form of protest is like really radical direct action. The stuff that's happening in Indigenous solidarity right now across Canada where like they're blockading pipelines, they're shutting down local economies, um, you know, in protest of the settler colonial state. Politicians will not touch that with a 10-foot pole because it's not marketable inside the political, the existing political system, which I think is the mark of like a really good protest movement. Uh, so that's, I think that's what I really love about activism um, and the type of activist work that I do now is that you can do really, really radical stuff that like really directly impacts people's lives. Um, like I, I don't think the, the protest stuff that I did when in high school, um, like those walkouts were the most impactful form of protest um, or the most impactful form of activism. I'm really proud of it still. I think that that it did great work. Um, and obviously, like, you know, we saw the sex ed curriculum changed and that was a huge win. Uh, it was so incredible to see so many young people power together. But I really hope that 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 protest was a jumping off point for young people and that you know, it served to radicalize them and to like see the power that their voices could hold. And I hope that many of them have like gone on to do more radical work. Absolutely. And I, I, I think there's like a blueprint for a certain type of activism. And that certain type of activism is all performative. And it's this idea that saying something and going to a place and just saying it will make things happen. And I think that comes from a place of privilege where you're so used to your voice being heard in society that you think that that's all you have to do. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, I think the real mark of a protest is that you're making people listen to people who have never been heard by the people making decisions. Yeah, and I think that is a part of what we see as what's most impactful for protests is that protests and walkouts are really good for bringing important issues into the public eye that otherwise maybe would not. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's also important that we recognize that just us being able to even have protests here is such a privilege. Yeah. Because in so many countries, you can't. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's really hard for me sometimes to look at protests here. I, I grapple with the idea of like, having lived the first decade of my life in a country where if you're going to a protest, you're seeing cars on fire and you're like, you're running away from protests almost because they might kill you. And mm -hmm. I know it's what, seven, eight at the time, but like the impact of protests in those countries are, okay, schools are shut down because the military is going to come in and do something yeah. or like an extra body of horrible armed people are going to do something to the protesters. And so like when I see protests here, certain type of protest, I don't want to generalize here, but certain types of protests, I'm like, are you doing this because you think you've like you're getting a social certificate for it? Mm -hmm. And I think for me that 
that leads to the question of what would you say, Rain, to people who feel that protests are ineffective or that um, they're disruptive for no reason or um, what else do people say? Um, that they're, they're not getting things done. To that, I would say, unfortunately, again, maybe this is a hot take, but sometimes they're right. There are a lot of forms of protest that people do right now that are not effective, that are, are you know, very much virtue signaling and very much for, for a social certificate. I mean, I, I, I've worked on the climate strike for many years. Um, I was like directly on the organizing team for the climate strike in Vancouver last year, but the climate strike is nowhere near a, a truly effective form of activism without further activation. And like the climate strike organization that exists in Canada does a lot of work beyond like just the climate march itself but the issue with you know the climate march as we know it is that it's not really a strike it's like a a bunch of people like a million people go out and like walk on the streets for one day and leave their litter behind like leave their plastic on the streets and then sort of feel like they've checked checked their box for activism for the year and don't feel like they have to do anything more they don't feel like they have to do anything more effective or they, they don't feel like they have to fulfill, you know, their social contract any more than that. And we see this kind of stuff a lot. We see like, you know, people call it slacktivism where mm-hmm. people think that like by sharing Instagram posts to their stories that they're, you know, doing an effective form of activism. Um, something that I have always said when I'm talking about, you know, sort of this ph- phenomenon and how organizing works and how activism works is that unfortunately like people in our society tend to always be looking for the easiest way to feel the most good about themselves like they want to do the least amount of work to feel the most good about themselves and to most feel like they're doing their part which isn't even really a bad thing like it comes from a good place like everybody wants to feel like they're they're doing something good but social media has made it super super easy to do something that is not really that impactful but to feel like you're you're making a difference, like sharing a, a petition on your story or something like that, um, when in actuality, like the impact that that's going to have is quite small. So I, I think that the issue is that a lot of the time, the type of protest that we do in Canada tends to be rather ineffective. Um, like if you look at countries like like France, um, uh, for instance, like their their protests tend to be highly highly effective because like like you said, it's like every time they protest, they're like setting cars on fire and they're looting businesses. And, you know, there's downsides to everything. Like, obviously that's dangerous for people in the, involved in the protests and for bystanders. I mean, another example is like a lot, a lot of the Black Lives Matter riots that happened this year in the US, they were highly destructive, but in my opinion, that made them highly effective. So I think it's, it's like a, a line that you sort of have to ride and it's a difficult balance but I think that like a lot of the criticisms that people lobby towards protests like towards marches and stuff like that tend to be pretty accurate um which is that they don't tend to be particularly effective a lot of the time because like very few times in history has anybody ever received rights or received humane treatment by politely asking their oppressor for it you know and that really is what those like peaceful marches are. It's like saying like, hey, like we're not really going to do anything, but like, could you please give yeah. us some rights? Do you think having a lot of people do something is going to make more of an impact than having a smaller group do something in a more radical way? 
see um it really depends um i personally have seen a remarkable impact i've seen probably a more direct impact come from small groups of people doing radical things i don't think that discounts the power of large numbers um like for instance like you know the the walkouts which had over a hundred thousand people and were were peaceful even though a walkout is like is slightly more radical um like those achieved their goal which i thought was incredible um and that's because of the numbers that we got out and it's because it was an electoral issue Mm -hmm. Um, because often when it's an electoral issue politicians are worried about getting their votes so when you get a lot of numbers out you know that is a a form of really effective action because politicians become worried about getting their votes Um, but for instance like throughout history some of the most effective protests in history have been hunger strikes led by like a hundred or so people they've been occupations like I've been at when I was at the blockades in February, um, like the Shutdown Canada blockades for the Wet'suwet'en pipeline, um, there were like 30 or 40 people at each protest. And they were point blank some of the most effective protests in Canadian history. Um, like they effectively shut down the Canadian economy coast to coast mm-hmm. with probably a sum total of 400 or 500 people across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, because what they were doing was so radical and we were getting arrested and we were getting chased by the police. Um, so I think it really depends. It depends on the issue. I think that it's important though to, to know that you don't need a lot of people to get stuff done if you have a, a radical message and a radical framework. Mm-hmm. Um, so within these, you know, these protests that you've been in, do you feel like you've had like an emotional collective bond that kind of comes from being involved in these protests and being with all these people and kind of having a similar goal? And what does that feel like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of my closest friends I met through organizing. Um, most of my friends I, I do organizing with to this day. Um, I think that like protest spaces, especially very radical protest spaces, are incredibly unique in the way that it feels to be there um there's some of the most joyful spaces that i've ever been in in my life um especially when you're at you know overnight actions radical actions like you're sleeping on the street you're breaking the law and stuff like that um the bond that you form with people there is very very intense and um the energy of those protests is so incredibly unique because like those spaces i don't mean to sound pretentious right now but those spaces like literally exist outside of the framework of the rest of our society like they they exist in a in a way that is outside of capitalism and outside of colonialism um which just like it feels different to be there and it feels very it's like it's a very moving experience i hope that like most people experience it at some point in their lives um because like the community that you find and the the kindness of people in those spaces is immeasurable because those are communities of people that are literally only able to survive because they have each other and because they help each other so it's a it's a really incredible place to be yeah and i i totally agree with you about like the kindness of people i think for me i describe it as seeing the humanity in society mm-hmm. i think we've become so detached from that again because we're going back to the idea of like everything's about a personal brand in this country Mm -hmm. like especially in our age group where it's like 
this is the time where you get a job. This is the time where you graduate. This is the time where you go to your, do your master's and all yeah. that. Everything's about like, everything we do has to be on brand, quote unquote. I don't yeah. know what my, yeah, but hopefully I figure it out soon. Um, yeah. yeah. No, you're totally right. You're completely right. I totally agree. Um, the brand thing, pretty fucked up. Yeah. Just like how young people are expected to like be building a marketable brand from yeah. the time that they're in their early teens is pretty fucked up. Yeah, I know. And we're trying to figure ourselves out. Like, like, again, like we're going to make mistakes. Like when I started Ally Squared, I did not know about like, I mean, I knew about performative allyship and that's why I started Ally Squared, but I didn't know about the idea that allyship is a word that um, a lot of people criticize for the performativity and the origins being like wartime relations. And so I think like if I'd gone back a year to this time last year, maybe I would have rethought the word or maybe I would have been clear with our brand. And like, again, being a founder of these things and starting these things is so much like you are now the brand of Ally Squared. So mm-hmm. Aswa can't be separated from, you know, Aswa at Ally Squared. And I think a lot of that when we talk about this is, is the idea that I have to be on brand. It's not just about me strongly believing in changing allyship to not be performative. It's also, I have to pretend that I'm like, I don't know, some kind of founder, executive director situation that I don't know how to be because I'm 22. You are. Yeah, but I don't know how to perform, <laughs> perform that image. Like, I don't know what I, like, our, uh, our meetings, our board meetings <laughs> are literally all of us on inner PJs, like, bed on Sunday nights being like, hey, how's it going? You're like, just really nice to us. um but yeah like going back to the idea that like there's such a place for this image that's created and if you don't have that image and for a second you're like you know what maybe I'm gonna practice some self-care and remove myself from some of the work I'm doing for a hot day so I can Mm -hmm. just maybe sleep um it's only like oh this person's only doing it for their self-betterment or or you know Ally Squared isn't what Ally Squared is because Aswa doesn't share her Instagram publicly or like things like that. With even with our team, I see people struggle with that. Like Cindy does our comms and she's so on our comms all the time that sometimes I just like I hear her talk and I'm like, you know, I wish there's also a space for Cindy, the magnificent human being that I know, in that comms dude. That's not always like we need more followers or we need more engagement or we need to figure out the best way to inform someone who knows nothing about this stuff yeah. about something called performativity. So I think like a big part of this work, like you're saying, is just so reeled up and wrapped up in these things like these blueprints for protesting, blueprints for activism that like who created these and who's sustaining these? I mean, we're sustaining these. We are, but yeah. Who's creating these? Yeah, absolutely. I remember a a lot of the people that I organized with um, in the Ontario walkouts, I have completely severed myself from um, because like many of the people who were in those spaces in the Ontario walkouts, like literally wanted to leverage it for money, like wanted to like call themselves like a CEO or like a CFO or like a communications officer of a grassroots protest movement. (laughs) they were trying to like leverage it for jobs and stuff like that or to get into like ivy league schools which is a huge thing that you see like ever since 
people sort of like clued into the fact that a certain kind of activism is very profitable, um, especially on resumes uh, and university applications. And you see a lot of people like trying to say that they're like the founder and CEO of, of like a, a grassroots protest. <laughs> um, that glamorous, like I wish, I wish the glamour exists. It's not. And yeah. I think anyone who's really like invested in the work is going to tell you that it sucks more than it is like, I mean, it's always going to feel good that you're putting your energy into something that you want to see changed. Mm-hmm. But most of the time it sucks. Like in a hard. Yeah. And it is really, really, really hard. Um, especially when your personal identity is like, so tied to the work that you do like as it is for me um like I never wanted to become a brand but I sort of did inadvertently um which creates you know sort of a crisis of conscious a, con- a crisis of consciousness mm-hmm. and a crisis of conscience um when especially when you're really young um like even now to this day like if I if I like tweet a political opinion and it like doesn't get a lot of likes I'm part of me is still like shit like was that a bad opinion or if I I like say things that don't get engagement or say things that people don't agree with like part of me is still like what am I doing wrong why don't people like me as much as they did when I was 16 um but I mean the reason for that is that when I was 16 like the stuff that I was saying was very palatable and did not challenge the existing balance of power in a radical way um which is a change that I'm glad I've made but it definitely is like weird when like people will message me or anonymously email me and say like like fuck you I supported you when you were 16 but like you've gone off the deep end and stuff like that um yeah I'm like good (laughs) um but it definitely is difficult especially you know just existing so online like I get death threats all the time my family gets death threats all the time my sibling got doxxed recently um because of the work that I do we've had to have the police on that case for almost six months because of the repeated death threats that they've been getting because of my work it's like super scary and super hard and like it is sort of frustrating when you see people latch onto activism uh as something for personal gain when it's something that's so hard um when it's your whole life you know and then when it's something that you really have to suffer for a lot of the time it seems like you've gone like you as a human have had metrics put on you so like you've got like I almost imagine like a virtual metric scale where it's like how much impact has she made today like how radical has she said something like how many tweets has she had like you know and there's like a summary report card at the end of the day being like you know this is the effect that she's had but that's not like that's not life because you've got other stuff going on and like this is a huge part of who you are but this isn't just who you are you have relationships outside of that you have things you care about outside of that you've got beautiful plants in your background right now that you're really taken care of because they're flourishing so yeah like there's so much to you that's you know more than what this is even though this is so important and that you know social metric that's been there and that social report card I feel like it matters so much in our heads and if we stop letting it, which again is so easy to say and so much harder to do, especially mm-hmm. when no one else is playing that game, um, I think maybe we'll sleep better at night. Yeah. 
do you feel like you've had like your experiences or how maybe you're portrayed in the media has hindered you from any opportunities that you've had um yes yes but not in the way that people think um like I, I mean the way that I'm portrayed in the media has opened me up to a lot of very like tangible opportunities like I mean I still get asked to like appear on tv and it certainly played a big role in the writing career that I have now and in the journalism that I do but I mean something that is like very upsetting to me and continues to like hinder the work that I do is that in activist communities especially radical activist communities there is a lot of distrust of performance activists and of people who you know are after fame or clout and because of the way that a lot of things were handled particularly in ways that were outside of my control when I was a 15 year old girl um in it's very easy to look at me or to google me and to and to get an idea of what kind of activist I am or what kind of person I am and that's something that happens a lot to this day um is you know people will have heard of me um and especially very radical activists tend to have a lot of distrust and it takes you know a long time for me to to build that trust with people and to prove that I'm not just like an attention hungry clout chaser which is unfortunate (laughs) and is it's something that you know sucks but it's not the biggest problem in the world um and it just means that I have to like you know do good work (laughs) which I should be doing anyway so um but it definitely is frustrating that it's like I've sort of lost control of my image like the things that people think and believe about me are completely outside of my hands and anybody can google me and and get a very um swift idea of who the media thinks I am or who or of who they want to think I am um which can be really alienating and super scary especially when you're 19 (laughs) and like you barely know who you are and a million people on the internet um feel like they can get an idea of who you are from very limited information has your writing helped you get that control? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great question. Um, I have loved, you know, sort of embarking on a writing career because I felt like it's been a way for me to create a name for myself for work that is truly my own. Um, Because I, I feel immensely guilty, as I should. I feel gross getting media attention for activist work. Because like I said, the work that I do is rarely about myself. It's never about myself. Mm -hmm. It's very, very rarely about even like my demographic. Like the work that I do is usually racial or indigenous solidarity action. Um, And like, I remember when I would post about the blockades, like when I, I was at the blockades a lot of the time, like reporters would ask to like feature me or like to do a piece on me for being at the indigenous solidarity blockades. And I was like, perhaps I should not be the person that you're focusing on in the youth-led indigenous whatsoever blockades. <laughs> um, and writing was was really important for me because it really felt for the first time like the stuff that I was getting credit for was 100% my own doing and something that I was putting out in the world. Um, so it feels really good. It means that I have sort of less time to do direct action which sort of sucks but 
writing has been like very therapeutic for me and I'm really really happy of the place with the place that I am now the point about the blockades and you being asked is yeah that's part of allyship is also knowing like when you have to step back Mm -hmm. is um I think equal to when you have to know you have to step forward forward, yeah for sure what do you think the future of protests is post-COVID? And I don't just mean like moving virtual or being safer and following health guidelines. What do you think protests will look like in five years and 10 years in the future? That's a, that's a, a good question. That's a difficult question. I'm going to give my optimistic answer. <laughs> I have a pessimistic answer, but it's probably not super fun. I mean, my, my optimistic answer is that I think COVID specifically has really woken people up to the power of mutual aid Mm -hmm. um i think it's really laid bare the failures of our existing system and i think that it's made clear to people across the country that ultimately all we have is each other and we have to work together and trust each other and support each other and provide mutual aid redistribute our wealth um show up for our neighbors in order for our society to work for us right now because again and again the government fails us on a provincial level on a national level and i think that covid has made that clear and i think that a lot of people have learned the power of mutual aid and have learned the power of radical action and that's something that i see every day and i think that people have become radicalized by covid and by everything that's happened this year so my hope really for the future of protest um post covid is that you know the frameworks that we operate in will become more radical you know that people will be operating from a place of trust in each other and not not trust in our leaders or our rulers um i think that for a long time probably protests are going to be smaller which i think is just going to be interesting um for the way that protests play out because people are going to have to get creative with tactics people are going to have to do more radical action because groups will just be smaller and you have to do more radical action when you can't have the numbers there. Um, And I think all of that is going to be really interesting to watch play out. There are already activists doing incredible work on, you know, post-COVID futures and imagining like a new normal. And we're already seeing, you know, the difference in like tenant organizing and like how people organize rent strikes, um, how people set up mutual aid networks. I think COVID forced a lot of people to become activists and to become organizers, uh, which I think can only mean good things for the future. Yeah, I really hope so. I really, really, truly hope so. Yeah. Okay, so we have a last kind of fun question that we pose to everyone. So, Rain, would you rather live a week in the past or the future and why? Hmm. I can't overthink this. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I would rather uh I think I'd rather live a week in the future. Can I like pick how far in the future? Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's going to be a numbers game. Because I would want to go as far as possible without like heat death. <laughs> 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 but I would say I would say the future, especially if I can get like a few tries to nail it down. I think that that could be depressing if the future is bad. Um, but I don't know. It might be nice to live in the nineties and like see Nirvana. <laughs> um, so I could go either way, but you know, my official answer will be like a hundred years in the future. I would oh. love that. A hundred years. Wow. Yeah. 
maybe I mean like I think about it and I'm like oh like flying cars and this but that's what people a hundred years ago thought, thought too and yeah. here we are with road cars so <laughs> with stupid road cars there's <laughs> 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 options <laughs> the seat cars road cars <laughs> air cars <laughs> thank you so much for talking to us um I think you've been someone so that I've followed on Twitter and I've like I've read your takes on everything and since I've you know I saw you speak I think you've made a really big mark in the ways that my year has gone in the ways that I think about things so I really appreciate that and I appreciate that you've given us time sometimes I overthink the crap out of my life and I'm like oh she'd never say yes like who's she? she like she's like all the way up there and then we're like this tiny little mini organization like <laughs> you know <laughs> but you know what I think it's important for us to have these conversations and I'm so so grateful that you have um where do people go to follow you on social media uh yeah you can follow me on twitter at rain fq um or on instagram at rain incorporated um yeah thank you so much for saying that that means a lot I often am pretty distanced from like the actual people who follow me and who see the work that I do so it, it like I also overthink things and think like uh, everybody hates me and nobody cares about the work that I do. So it, it means a lot. That makes me really happy. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, and so just last but not least, so um, let's talk about COVID, the nice. thing that we talk about and exist in for a very long time now and feel like there's no end to it. It doesn't seem to be going away. No. <laughs> So we have a couple uh, tips for protesting during COVID. So obviously always follow your provincial and local health Mm -hmm. guidelines, wear your masks, social distance. Um, And also now is a time that you can turn to online activism. So you could donate, you can attend meetings, you can sign petitions by meetings. I think we mean virtual meetings. Yes. and call your elected officials. Oh, yeah. And vote. And vote. Yeah. Whenever that federal vote comes, which I have hot takes about, but that's for another time. That's off podcast. <laughs> 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 Yasmin looks at us and goes, shut up. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. No, but vote. Voting is so important in municipal. So vote for your counselors. Vote for your municipal elected officials and mayors. Mm-hmm. Um, vote provincial, vote for your MPPs. This is all in the Canadian context. Mm-hmm. Um, and vote federally for your members of parliament. I think it's so important. Your district board, your regional school district boards and all of that too. Every, mm-hmm. There's so many ways to vote that it's not just federal. Yeah. And I think also it's important to take some time to educate yourself on what these people stand for. Because I think a lot of the times we don't know completely and we kind of blindly will vote um because we like the party or sometimes the name of the person or we like the I name. used to do when I was in fake right. elections or in we school. like how they look <laughs> um so I think it's really important to um educate yourself on what who you're voting for and what they stand for and what you're voting for to happen absolutely and Follow us on at Ally2Squared on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and virtually everywhere else. We're hoping for TikTok, but that's a, that's a later. That's a later as well headache. Also visit www.allysquared.ca. I recently redid the website in the middle of the night, so 
go check that out. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Our episodes, as usual, occur bi-weekly on Sundays. And in the next episode, we'll be talking about Yasmeen's favorite. Karen culture. Yay! <laughs> With a very, very special guest. I'm so excited for this. You've been wanting to do this forever. <laughs> and it's going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, everyone. And have a great Sunday. Take care. Bye.